Hallelujah! It's not much, but we give it our all to you, Father. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for coming today. What a great day to be in church. You all enjoy communion. You know, sometimes words have like two meanings, you know. You took communion, which is the elements, but did you have communion, which means interaction with God? So in your communion, you need to have communion. Isn't that cool? And then there's another one that I was talking about, thank you, in first service, presence and presence. How many know there's two different ways to spell presence? You can spell the one that ends in E-N-C-E. That's like your presence. And then you can spell presence like what you get on Christmas Day, E-N-T-S. Everybody get that? Now watch this. You need to be in his presence to get his presence. <laughs> Isn't that cool? That's some preacher stuff right there, but it works, man. That's, it's a preacher game on the words, but literally, when you're taking communion, you got to have communion. When you're in his presence, you need to receive his presence. And that's what's so special about churches like ours today. Never forget about it, especially when there are so many around the world who suffer in Jesus' name simply to do what we do. Open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. We're in his presence, receiving his presence. We are here today taking communion, having communion, as we're having communion with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're in a sermon series in second service here on the book of Hebrews. We're going verse by verse, and we've been stuck in the last chapter. I haven't even noticed that. We've been stuck here for a while, and it's a good place to be because I've been in first service talking about the church. So the first service messages are talking about the church, and specifically I've been on the body of Christ and how we all are different parts of the one body. And the reason why I've been sticking here now in 13 is to complement that because I believe God is speaking to us. And what I mean by that is through the sermon series, through the passages we're getting in the text, we're learning about our roles, and I want them to complement each other because I can see the big picture. I can see the forest because I'm up in the plane, 30,000 feet up. How many have rode in a plane before? How many can see a lot more when you're up that high? And as pastors, that's our calling to do that. I remember one time I uh, was with my daughter in our backyard, and there's a private airport. And don't, don't think here uh, we're talking about private jets and all that. I think they can land there, but that's not really what you see going on there. It's a private airport with those propeller planes. Anybody ever seen those before? Cessna planes, these kinds of things. And so one day in the back uh, of our yard, my my daughter sees one of those go by, and they're not too too high up there. You can see them pretty clearly. And she was like, oh, I like that. And then I began to tell her what it is. I'm like, oh, that's a little plane. It's like the size of our car, and they go up there. And she was like, well, I want to go up there. Do you remember that, Joycey? You don't remember that? You're getting to be so old now. You were just little biddle back then. So she was like, I want to do that. Well, you know, as a dad, they have me wrapped around their little finger. So I was like, I'm going to figure that out. So I went and called up that private airport spot. And I'm like, man, what do I got to do to get my daughter in one of these planes? And they're like, hey, you're not alone. We actually have a program for that. It's called Little Eagles, Little Eagles. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. I was like, what is Little Eagles? And, and they said, well, that's when everybody who owns a plane comes out that day and they take kids up in the air and they get them into aviation 
creation. And so they're really nice to volunteer and do that. It doesn't cost anything. They just take people up in their planes, you know. So I said, okay, when is that? So we went over there, and we did that. It was, it was a lot of fun. And here was the thing, because our house is not that far by. And I, I told him, I said, my house is not far by. That's how we're here. My daughter saw this. And I said, it would be really cool if you took us over to where we live. And they said, cool, we can do that, because, you know, I pointed on a map where we're at. And do you know that when we were up there, and it wasn't that high, maybe 10,000 feet, they're like, we're over your house right now. And I'm like, no, you're not. No, you're not. And they're like, no, that you're, we're right there. And I started taking pictures, and I had to zoom in to see it. I couldn't even recognize my home from that far up in the air. Now, what is the point with that? The point is, is that you can get so used to this down here that you don't see things. Come on, somebody, from heaven's perspective. You need a heavenly perspective. Come on. You need to be able to get up a little bit in the Holy Ghost because things that seem big now, they're small when you're up there. See, th things that seem impossible on, on earth, when you go up to heaven, they become possible. See, that's the beauty of it. Now, now, this is why I've been talking about leadership, because what are leaders supposed to do? Leaders are supposed to be readers of God's word and pull people up from the muck and the mire of our world and give them a 30,000-foot vision. That's our job as leaders. And, and the job isn't just for me to stay a leader. It's for me to equip leaders to lead. If I'm doing my job right as a leader, then each and every one of you are becoming leaders. Just as you uh, got our notes here, go quickly to Ephesians chapter 4. Let me show this to you. Somebody say, make it plain. Amen. I'm going to make it plain as we get on a plane. Y'all ready? Come on, here's another one. There's a plane and there's a plane. Oh, no, man. Y'all aren't going to go there with me? See, I'm going to make it plain as we get up in the plane of the Spirit. You're going to see something you never saw before. Now go down just a little bit. Let's go to say to, uh, I believe, verse 13. Start around there in verse 13. Uh, let's go up even one more. Let's go to, uh, say, 10. 10 a good spot for us. Notice what the Bible says. He who descended is the very one who ascended. Everybody say, ascended. You see that language there? Ascended. Jesus ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So when Jesus went up, the blessings came down. When Jesus ascended on the plane of the Holy Ghost, he could make plain to us and clear to us his purpose for our lives. When he went up, blessings comes down. Does everybody see that? Look at that. When he ascended, he did this. Verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service. What is the job of an apostle? To equip people for the works of service. What is the job of a prophet? To equip people for the works of service. What is the job of an evangelist, pastor, teacher? Highlight that for me, please, brother. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be what? Built up. Somebody say built up. Thank you. Built up until we all reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, becoming mature, obtaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Everybody get this today. My job is to give you a job. My job is to give you a job. My work is to equip you for your work. If we go back to our notes in Hebrews chapter 13, as we're concluding this passage, and we talk about leaders, and all you see is the leaders right now in this church, that it applies to them, you have missed the entire message. My job as a pastor is to raise up other leaders. Think about it. 
Every single one of you have a job and an assignment that you get paid for, nine to five. You know, it's what you're going to do this week. Every single one of you should be good enough on that job to train somebody else. How many believe that? Can I hear an amen? Amen. You should be good enough to do that. It doesn't matter what position you have. Even if you're a mayor, the president of the United States, you better prepare somebody to take your spot. You better help somebody come there and do that. You should know your job good enough that if anybody wanted to do what you're doing, you can help them. Mothers, can you help mothers today be good moms? You should be able to. Fathers, same thing. Husbands, wives, absolutely. Those of you who are in construction, you should be able to train people. That's how it works in the union, right? You have an apprentice. You have a journeyman. Many of you have gone to trade schools. You've learned from experts in the field. Others of us have gone to college. You've learned from your professors. You didn't want to learn from a professor who didn't know the subject. You wanted to learn from somebody that was an expert in the subject. How many ever heard of the degree, master's degree? To have a master's degree means you've mastered a subject. My master's degree is in Christian education. I had to show that I had mastery of the education that Christians involve themselves in. I had to be able to show that I knew the pedagogy, the pedagogical way of teaching. That's just a fancy word for saying teach people. I had to understand the parameters, the ways that we learn. I had to understand how institutions have changed throughout the years. And I apply that, what I learned to this church. We use an online learning software called Moodle that's free for colleges and places to use. I implemented that into our disciples. When you take our discipleship, you're using the same online learning application that college students use. See, I put that in there. And then when I got my doctorate, now a doctor may not seem as clear as a master's, but a doctor is someone who is an expert and a, and a physician like in the medical field, but of that truth, they can apply it, they can dissect it, they can know it from the front to the back, and they can bring forth a healing to the situation when there's a problem involved. Now, if I'm on a plane and somebody says, is there a doctor here? I better answer yes because I don't want to lie, but I'm not one that can give CPR. I'm not one that can check your blood pressure, but I'm a doctor of the soul. That means when I went beyond my master's to get a doctorate, I went to study the ways to heal the soul of the church. My doctorate is in ministry. I have a D-men. What that means is, is that I have studied how to raise up the ministers and the leaders of the church through the academic processes of the scriptures and of outside textbooks and learning and so forth. When I did my doctoral project, I consulted neuroscience. I also looked into different aspects that was far-reaching from my original assignment, but I had to show that there was an expertise that could touch all those areas. Now, you might be saying, Joe, that's awesome for you. What do we do? Come here to give you a hand clap and be impressed? No, no, no. Listen to where I'm going with this. I did all of that for you. So today I could stand here and give you something for free. Think about that. I'm not trying to get a pat on the back. I'm just telling you what my job is. My job has led me to get the highest educational accolades you can have in this country so that I can sit here today and a 13-year-old with their family can understand what their job is in the church. When you have an expertise on something, you can make it as simple for a child to understand. I don't know if you've seen these cool videos that are going around on YouTube, but it has someone in my position with an education start from the lowest levels of learning all the way to the highest levels. So they have, say, a doctorate of, of uh, physics 
talk to an elementary student and they explain it to them like an elementary student. Then they go to a high school student. Then they go to a college student. Then they go to someone that is getting their doctorate degree and then they talk to a peer. And you get to see how the information grows and grows and grows. Now when they're talking to the child, it's like maybe that's all that they know if you didn't know who they were. If you just listen to the conversation, physics is the studying of how physical objects move. And you might think that's all they know. No, but in their mind, they're prepared to take you all the way to the professional level. But they're good enough so that when a child is there, and they even ask them questions at the end, so what do you think physics is? Oh, physics is the study of the physical universe and how it interacts within itself and how it moves. Awesome, you got it. Then they went to the next one. My job is to make sure you get it. And you might say, well, pastor, I'm a new Christian. I just started attending church. Well, if I'm doing my job correctly, you're going to start to learn how to be a leader. Now, you might be in here today, and you might even have more gray hair than me, been in church longer than me, been a Christian longer than me. And guess what? Today's my spiritual birthday, November 5th, 1995. Today makes 28 years of serving Jesus. Amen? All glory to God, because I didn't save myself. He saved me. Now, notice this. The Bible commands us as leaders to make other leaders. My job is to make sure I understand where you are at and then to bring you to where I've been and then even as parents can relate to this, to have you surpass me. I love one of these memes that's going around that says, your father is the only person that wants you to beat him. And that is true if you are a father here today. Can I hear an amen? When I play basketball with my son, I want to beat him really bad. I really do. But I don't get mad when he beats me. Nobody here would get that. You know what I'm saying? Anybody else, I want to beat you. If you beat me, I'm upset. But as a father, when my son beats me, I'm like, oh, that's all right. That's my son. I want him to beat me. Well, here, to be honest with you, as a pastor, that should be the desire of my heart. I should want you to go further than me. I should want you to go deeper than me, higher than me. I should want every single one of you to understand more than I've ever learned before. Because if I'm doing my job right, and as we've seen from the apostles, what, what I have called my ceiling, I would love to be your floor. I don't want you to stop where I've stopped. I want you to keep going. I can give you the pathway to get there, but I can't chase down every pathway that God has for each one of us. For example, my expertise is not in the Old Testament. Somebody here may love the Old Testament and want to start learning Hebrew and understand all the biblical stories and the geography and take trips to the Holy Land. Wouldn't that be awesome? And they say, man, this is what I'm passionate about. Another group of people here today, you might say, Pastor, I just love helping and encouraging people. I study the pastoral epistles and learn how to become a better counselor. I study neuroscience and, and psychiatry and psychology so that I can implement biblical ethics into the world of counseling. How many think that would be awesome? See, every person going further than the other one in their gifts and callings and that we don't limit ourselves. And one thing that you can hear from me is that I don't want to limit myself by being jealous of other leaders in our church. You see, a pastor who doesn't let people experience, uh, to express their gift is missing the experience of that gift. And so in the next like few moments, I'm going to ask that Brother TJ would come up and summarize what he preached last week at a different church. Just to give this as an illustration, it may not be related to my message right now, but I want you to hear this man of God preach because the overall point is that I want other preachers in the house. Can I hear an amen? So 
He's going to share what he was asked to go preach on last week just in a five-minute summary. But listen, it's not just going to be about that message because he could talk about anything in the next few moments. But what's going to be most important is that you understand that I'm going to pass the mic like a baton. Come on, brother. You ready? I told you to get ready. Amen. He was out there serving. Let's give it up for Brother TJ. All that I ask is when you see that turn 15 right there, you see that turn 15, you hand it back. Amen. Yes, sir, I got you. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. I'm so excited to be with you guys this Sunday. And um, I just want to ask you guys a question. And the question is, is what do you value? What do you value? See, many times people value the things of this world. They value money. They value pleasure. They value sex. They value uh, all these different things, but they don't value the things of God. They don't value the things of God. They don't value living holy. The Bible makes it very clear to live holy, holy as our heavenly Father in heaven is holy. To be pure as our Heavenly Father in heaven is pure. Right? There is a standard that we're supposed to live as believers. There's a standard that we're supposed to live as Christians. We're not supposed to live like the world. We're not supposed to talk like the world, my friends. We're not supposed to act like the world, but rather we're supposed to be like Jesus. We're supposed to act like Jesus. We're supposed to talk like Jesus talks. Right, I work at a uh, Christian after-school program, and so, there's so many Christians, so many believers, people who claim to be followers of God, people who go to church on Sunday, sing in the choir, everything else, and they still live like the world. Still act like the world. What about you today? You might be here on Sunday, but what are you doing Monday through Friday? Are you smoking weed? Are you hanging out with the wrong crowd? Are you doing things that you're not supposed to be doing, my friends? Because there's a standard you're supposed to live and supposed to be like Jesus. You're supposed to act like Jesus, my friends. What do you value? Do you value Jesus? Do you value your relationship with God? You're making time with God, reading your Bible, praying, seeking his face, and seeking his glory. In Matthew 8, 33, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these different things have been given to you as well. Jesus makes it clear that we're called to seek, seek first the kingdom of God. Nothing else. We're not supposed to seek what we want. We're not supposed to seek what we desire. No, we're supposed to seek Jesus. We're supposed to go all out for Jesus. In Matthew, uh, Mark 8, 34, it says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. How many of you need to deny yourself today? How many of you need to deny your flesh, deny your desires, deny the things that you value today and give it to Jesus? Because he's waiting with open arms saying, son, daughter, I'm here for you. Son and daughter, I'm here for you. Just give it all up to me. Just give it all up to me, son and daughter. Just give it all up to me, son and daughter. Are you willing to give it all to Jesus? Are you willing to, to give it all to Christ? 
Are you willing to value Jesus over yourself? Jesus even talks about if you love your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. So even if you love your own life, you can't be a follower of God. Why? Because Jesus makes it clear that we're supposed to deny ourselves for him. We're supposed to give our all to Jesus. Because the thing is, Jesus gave his all for you, my friends. Jesus died on the cross. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was nailed to the cross for me and for you to give us eternal life. Why? Because Jesus valued you, my friend. Jesus value you. Jesus looked at you and said, you have value. I love you. He looked at you with compassion and said, that's my son and daughter. I'm willing to die for them on the cross. He value you, my friends. Are you willing to value Jesus today? Are you willing to give it all to Christ today? Just how Jesus gave it all for you, are you willing to give it all to him? Amen. Hallelujah. I needed that. I needed that. Thank you, man of God. And on time. <laughs> that was good. You bless, man of God. You can't get too many preachers to do that. Wow, what a powerful message. Some of us haven't heard that. Can you put up that, ma- uh, that Mark passage if you do not uh, hate your mother, father? Because I know some of you may not have heard that. You can't be my disciple. We often hear Jesus saying, oh, you know, you have to honor and love your parents. But then in another place it says, oh, you have to hate your family. Well, the context of that, would you help find it for him, Rudy, uh, TJ in the back? Because listen, brothers and sisters, if you put anything above God, you can't, you can't, put, uh, you can't have God in your heart. God's not going to share his heart with you like it's a condo. You know, like you're going to have God up in this part of your heart, but this part, no, God gets all of it. The way I look at it is when you're serving Jesus, if you got his heart, you're going to love your family. If you got his heart, you're going to love your children, and then you'll love your life as you're supposed to. But if you don't have God's heart, if you don't have God's heart for that, your love for your family, your love for your own life becomes an idol. Can I hear an amen to that? I mean, that's the Bible. I just want you to make sure you heard that right here. If anyone comes to me and does not hate mother and father, or father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, there's some of you who are saying, man, I could do this if it said mother-in-law's in there. Listen, or, you know, stepmoms, no, no, that's, that's not what it's saying. But listen, it said mother and father. Husbands and wives, yeah, you're supposed to hate them. But what does that mean? That means if you love them more than you love God, then that's going to be a problem. So in comparison to your love for God, you're putting God first. Like in comparison to anyone else, God comes first. That's why he said Matthew 6, 33. Now let's go back to our notes, please, because what you just heard there was a leader. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now ask yourself this question, am I a leader? Because you're called to be one. Leaders make leaders. If you say in this church, Pastor, I'm not a leader and I didn't know I was supposed to be, then I'm failing at my job. Every single one of you is supposed to be able to affirm that and say, yes, I'm called to be a leader. And Pastor, I'm doing my best to become one. So if you think to yourself right now, I am not required to do this, you are missing the entire context of the Bible. 
My job is to give you a job. My work is to give you work to do. One more time, Matthew 28, 19 and onward. I want you to see this. Jesus commanding his disciples, talking to those original disciples, says, therefore, go into all the world and then make what? Disciples, right? Make disciples of the nation. So it's disciples making what? Disciples. So the very first command a disciple gets is go make disciples. You cannot stay here and just be all about yourself. That's why when I look at how the Roman Catholic Church started imitating the monasteries of the East, I said, oh, no, we've gone off. The job of a Christian is not to get to the Himalayan mountains and see if they can walk on rice paper. It is not to go up there and see if you can catch a fly with your chopsticks. That is not the ultimate goal of a Christian. The ultimate goal of a Christian is not isolation and meditation and then seeing how long you can go without speaking a word. Some of these monasteries, the priests don't say any word. They don't talk and they take these vows of silence and all of that. My brothers and sisters, that is not the mark of a mature Christian. There's a discipline in that, for sure. I know some of us couldn't go without saying a word for even an hour. I get that. Like, that's a discipline. Man, don't talk for a day. That would would be like drive some of us crazy. Okay, there's something that they did there. I'm not trying to take away from that. But it's not what Jesus commanded. It's cool that you could do 100 push-ups or, or whatever, or you can do a feat of discipline for your, you know, for your personal life like that, but God didn't command us to go out there and learn kung fu, walk on rice paper, or, or to become so physically fit, we become bodybuilders and all these other kinds of things people want to be disciplined in. Listen to what he said, therefore go and make what? Disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and then doing this, teaching them to obey what? Everything, thank you, I've commanded you. So notice this. If those first disciples did not make other disciples, then they would have failed. They would have got an F on Jesus' test of leadership. Could Peter have been a good disciple if he didn't make other disciples? No. Could Paul have been a good disciple if he didn't make other disciples? No. Am I a good pastor if I don't make other disciples? No. Now think about church today. Put it in your mind right now what you think about church. Do you think about Going to church as a place to be equipped to be a leader. Most people don't think about church like that. I've even heard pastors say, oh, our church is a hospital. Our church is a hospital. That's cool to have a hospital on site, but we're a battleship. That's what we are. We're a ship facing the enemy, and we're raising up soldiers. And if you get wounded, we have a hospital, but this is not just a hospital. Because how many know if you just have a hospital, the enemy's going to kill all of you, the doctors, the nurses, the sick, everybody. You better have a soldier guarding that hospital. You better have some guns and some weapons outside of that hospital. You're in a fight against the devil. Oh, this is the hospital. That's why your people are weak then. You've taught them that they're all going to stay weak. You've taught them that's all this is. All this is a hospital. Sometimes I'm being honest with you. I love my preacher friends. They get hyped, man. They get excited. But you listen to them preach, man. They always put you down. But most people don't even realize it. They come to preach to a sermon, uh, to preach to you a sermon. They'll talk about the woman with the issue of blood. And they'll say, some of y'all here like the woman with the issue of blood. You're bleeding out. You're messed up. You tore up from the floor up. But Jesus is going to come and save you. And so what did they just tell you? You a poor, bleeding out woman, right? And then you, you go to the conference the next day. And then the next day, you're Lazarus. You're dead in your grave. And Jesus going to raise you up. So I went from being a sick, bleeding out woman to now a dead man? When do I ever get to be Jesus in the story? When do I ever get to be the conqueror? Are you listening? 
They keep putting you as the sick person in the gospel. I understand that needs to be to somebody. But if you're healed, now you're the one that's supposed to be like Jesus. At some point, you got to be the one who stands on the word of God and go helps other people get healed. At some point, you got to see yourself as the David taking over Goliath, not the one that's just running from the battlefield. And I thank God for those preachers, but so often they forget to tell you this is not just a place to get a motivational sermon to fix your problems that you had last week. This is a place to teach you how to soar above those problems on the wings of an eagle and how to see things from God's perspective and get a mission accomplished. Amen. Amen. Let's go back to that Hebrews passage. So remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and do what with their faith? Just read their books? Just follow their Instagrams? Just sit in their pews and say amen all the time? No, go imitate their faith. So whose faith are you imitating today? Somebody said Jesus. That's awesome. But Jesus is not the one being spoken of here. I know that's always the answer I tell my kids. I'm like, if y'all get confused, just keep saying Jesus. Because I ask them questions all the time, and then they always forget. And I'm just like, just say Jesus, and I'll at least know you're paying attention, you know. But sometimes, believe it or not, Sunday school class, Jesus is not the right answer. Okay? The question is one more time, whose faith are we imitating in the context of verse 7? Your leaders. Now, where did your leaders get their faith from? Jesus, of course. But do you see how it goes from Jesus to the leader to you? That's how it's supposed to work. So these kind of leaders that say back to you, oh, don't follow me, just follow Jesus, take their advice and stop listening to them and go into their church. Seriously, don't follow me, just follow Jesus. Okay, Jack, I'm, I'm not going to go to your church anymore. You said don't follow me. Go to First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Somebody say, follow me as I follow Jesus. That's the kind of pastor that you lead. That's the kind of person that you need in your life. Well, pastor, are you saying you're perfect? No, follow my example of repentance then. Right? Like if, if, one of my, one, if one of my things is I mess up sometimes, what is my example to you when I mess up? I repent. So follow my example in my marriage. And part of that example is when I mess up in my marriage, I tell Boopster Boo, I'm sorry. Right, Boopster Boo? Do I ever tell you I'm sorry? Nancy, you're my boobster boo back there. I know you're handling my kids, but do I ever tell you I'm sorry? Yes. So that means follow my example if I'm wrong. Can I hear an amen? You see, it's not always easy, but I'm here to be an example. So let me ask you, are you an example? Don't give me this nonsense, nobody's perfect. As the Bible says, and his, our brother TJ just said, be holy for he is holy. It doesn't say be messed up like he's messed up. You're supposed to be following Jesus. So you're following Jesus with your mess-ups, with your mistakes. And what is your example to other people? If he forgave me, he can forgive you. If he can get me out of stinking thinking and give me the mind of Christ, he can get you out of stinking thinking. And I told you my testimony about when I became a Christian, November 5th, 1995, but it was summer break of 96. It was the last time I looked at pornography. How many want to follow that example? And I've been married since 2005. How many uh, want to follow that example? Amen. So, I mean, let's go. Somebody has to say it can be done. Otherwise, we're considering Christianity as merely idealism, as an ideal that we all share, but no one can actually do it. And when it becomes like that, then now there's no teeth to the bite of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. In other words, if all Christianity is to us is something that we all hope to do one day, someday in the future, maybe when Jesus comes back, we'll all be real Christians then, then right now there is nothing for the Holy Spirit to convict you over then everything, I guess, is okay because you're not perfect and no one else is perfect and he's not expecting you to be perfect, so stop trying anyways. Now there's no conviction. Does that sound like the Bible to you? 
Does that sound like what the apostles are teaching us? Is, hey, everybody just accept your faults. Everybody deal with your demons and just get on in life and do the best that you can. Is that the message of Christianity? No, that's, that's not message of Christianity at all. That's a joke compared to Christianity. Christianity is what God has done for me, he can do for you. What God has done to me, he can do through me to you. Christianity is a testimony-based religion. How many of you have heard testimonies in a church like this and in this church? We're, based, we're, we're a testimony-based religion. It didn't just stop with the testimonies of the apostles seeing Jesus. It's then the testimonies of those who heard the testimony of the apostles who saw Jesus and said, I wasn't there when Peter was there, but when Peter preached, I felt what Peter felt. How many know that's how it worked? And then they went off into other places, and then they said, hey, I met this guy named Peter, and he told me about his testimony, and when he told it to me, I felt what he felt. Let me now tell it to you, and you can feel what I'm feeling. And that's how it gets passed down from generation to generation to where now, let's just think about in the natural, not any one of you have to be at this church today. This church is not even old enough to have great-grandparents that brought you here. We are all here by choice, including me, your pastor. And why are we here? Because we got testimonies. We got testimonies. I was a high school dropout. I was selling and doing drugs. I was arrested eight times. I got saved at my mother's kitchen table this time 28 years ago, and I got high on the most high, and I ain't never come down, baby. I'm still hooked on Jesus. You need to give him a try. That's what Jesus did for me. I'm not here because my mom brought me to this church. I'm not studying Christianity because I'm in a Christian nation. It didn't make any difference to me. I had already renounced all of that faith when I became a drug dealer. I had already renounced all of that when I got into my music and my drugs. I came back into Christianity because Jesus brought me back. And I think many of you have prodigal sons and daughter stories too. Many of us here are in that post-Christian generation. Many of us were brought up a certain way, and we went out there and wilded out, tried it on our own. Thank God for those who didn't. But many of us already went out there and did it, and now we're coming back. That's why when someone argues with me about Christianity, it's like, man, this is not even an argument. This is something I've already experienced. You can't out-argue me out of my experience. It's like you trying to argue with Neil Armstrong, and he's been on the moon, and you're a flat earther. He's like, dude, you can say whatever you want. I've touched moon dust. Beat that. People can say whatever they want to me, and I'm not trying to say I'm ignorant of their arguments. I study them all the time. One of the things I got caught listening to back there when I'm supposed to be praying was a new debate that came out between uh, David Wood and Aaron Ra on uh, the Modern Debate Channel, and I was listening to them and David Woods putting a Holy Ghost spanking on them. I get into that stuff all the time. But listen, at the end of the day, I cannot win an atheist over by a debate because that's not even what brought me in. What brought me in was the power and the love of God that washed over me like an ocean ocean wave. How many of you have ever been in the ocean before? You try to stop waves as a kid. You ever put out your arms like that and the waves just knock you down. You get back up and you're playing. Man, that ocean of God's love just knocked me flat on my back. I couldn't deny it. It was like meeting a hurricane. How many know if you met a hurricane, you'd be changed? How many know if you ran into a tornado, there would be things different about you? I ran into the whirlwind of God. But instead of it making it messed up, he put it all right. Instead of him turning it upside down, he put it right side up. Can I hear an amen? I'm like the Wizard of Oz, but I came into the kingdom of God. Next thing I knew, I'm not in Kansas anymore. Clickety-click, I'm where Jesus is. I'm in the kingdom of God. Man, I'm telling you, I went from selling drugs, doing drugs, to like, whoa, this is what I want, and I never look back. 
I went to my friends. I started to preach to them. They thought I was crazy. But I'll tell you what, they don't think I'm crazy anymore as they're on their third divorce and I'm still married to the woman that I love with six beautiful children. They don't think I'm crazy anymore while they're still serving prison sentences and I'm out here living for Jesus. They don't think I'm crazy anymore as they've committed suicide and some have become transgender and I know who God made me to be. Brothers and sisters, the person of a testimony, we're the testimony is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. And that's what we're going around telling the world. So get this lie out of your mind, I can't be a leader. Yes, you can. I'm a leader. Your pastor is a former drug addict. I have a criminal record. That's who I used to be. I'm ashamed of it. Don't let anyone disqualify you from being a leader. Let's all go do it. Let's all find people in our lives to say, follow me as I follow Jesus. Now look at your neighbor, please, and say, that was just the introduction. I haven't even got to the chart yet. Show them the chart. That, the chart's the message. We haven't even got to the chart yet, but we're not ready for it. There might be two introductions. Now go to verse 17, please. Verse 17, have confidence. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this that their work would be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray that I may be restored to you soon. I believe Paul, the author here, begins to teach us that the confidence we have in our leaders will result in obedience. When we submit to their authority, we make their work a joy and not a burden, and it benefits us. How many have been benefited by godly leadership in your life? Godly leadership has benefited you. It has benefited me immensely. Before I was a husband, I benefited from godly husbands. Where did I even get the idea to homeschool? That was from my Bible college president, Brother Anthony Freeman, who brought me into his house. I had never even seen homeschool other than that, uh, you know, before that. Uh, before me actually looking at it, I had heard about it, and I think some people in my church did it, but I just thought they were weird, you know. But I didn't think about it. But when I was in Bible college, Brother Anthony brought me over to his house. And he said, we homeschool. And I talked to his wife, Sister Melanie. He was the president and also one of our professors. So I learned about homeschool. Now I homeschool our children. You see, somebody impacted my life. Now, you don't have to homeschool, but if you want to look, what, look, uh, look at what homeschool looks like, come visit us in the afternoon one day, and I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like a nun mixed with a gym teacher, okay? My wife is the nun, and she will slap and get them in order at any given time, and then I, as the gym teacher, will have my kids, I don't care what the weather's like, running laps outdoors if things ain't right. Half kid here. So it's like, <laughs> I know my daughter's like, no, he ain't kidding. He ain't kidding. So yeah, but our homeschool don't have to be like your homeschool. But listen, I I'm now an example of homeschool. See, now you can learn about homeschooling. How many of you grew up with your biological mom and dad for all 18 years of your life? Raise your hand. Look it. That's not even half the congregation. You want to see what it's like to have a mom and dad? Come visit us. Now, how many of you are moms and dads raising your kids? Come on, raise your hand. Now, come see some of these families here, right? Come see their families. And guess what? You'll see what it's like to grow up with a mom and dad. Sometimes I tease my, my uh, daughter's friends because, you know, she does have to run laps, and homeschooling does go 24-7. We go year-round. I want them to graduate by their 16 because I think most high school is a waste of time. I want them to figure out what they want to do in life sooner than later. Uh, in most countries, that's already done anyways. Even in Europe, they start college around that age. But that's what we do. But now listen to me, brothers and sisters. You don't have to do that. But you know what? I always tell my daughter, if the worst thing you have to say about me is that I kept you from drugs, homeschooled you, and made sure I was home every night, I'm, I'm sure the counselor you go to will, will not feel too sorry for you. Uh, 
Oh, my dad. Well, tell me your daddy problem. My dad was always home. Okay, so did he beat your mom? No, he always loved my mom. Okay, so then did he do drugs and get drunk? All no, he was always praying, reading the Bible. Have we were watching movies together. So what's your problem? Why are you paying me? Oh, because he made me go to school all year round. And because I couldn't listen to Cardi B. And, and I couldn't do drugs. Okay. And I'm sure the counselor will give back the money and say, you all right. You all right. I got two more coming after you. Trust me, you could probably counsel them better than me because I haven't, I haven't even seen what you saw. Seriously, even the counselors didn't grow up in mom and dad households where dad was home, mom was home, loving Jesus, going to church, staying off drugs and alcohol. Seriously, my next door neighbor's been drunk before. My kids have never even seen me drunk. How many know that's kind of normal in some people's houses? Even though dad could even be quote unquote a good dad, but they still saw him drunk. Nancy's never even cussed out anybody. How many know there's good families? When I say good, I'm talking like in the community, they work hard, but the, the mom every now and then will cuss somebody out. See, brothers and sisters, I'm not trying to say we're better than anybody, but we're better off. We're a holy people, and we need to stop hiding our lamp under a bushel, being ashamed that we're Christians. We are not ashamed that we are Christian. The Muslim ain't ashamed of what they do. I'm not ashamed of what I do. Amen. If they're going to stand up and be proud that they can be Mr. Potato Head and try to change their gender, I'm going to be proud that I know my gender and I know what the Word of God says. And I believe it from Genesis to Revelation. And if you don't believe it, just look at the news. You're living in it right now, Jack. How many know they're living out Revelation right now? They're living it out right in front of it. Is it any coincidence that Israel is the center of the world right now? Of course, it's not. that's what the Bible said in the end times. It would be exactly like the way it is. The Bible said they'd be lovers of themselves. Let's just go there quickly. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Every wicked thing they're doing right now, they think they're inventing something. They're being new and creative. No, they're no different than the devils that came before them. This is a world that's always been falling apart, but the only difference is our Bible prophesied that at the end, it would get even worse. Can I hear an Amen. I said chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, I meant chapter 4. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. The Spirit clearly says, says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. Do you know now that there are more Wiccans and people who call themselves witches than there are Presbyterians? Press in the U.S. The U.S. used to be the number one place for Presbyterians. That's like an old school denomination. That's kind of the people that supported Billy Graham back in the day. You'll see these churches around here. There's now more Wiccans than there are Presbyterians. In other words, if it was a denomination, it would be one of the main denominations of our country. Witchcraft. It's all coming back, but it's been around. It's things taught by demons. Things taught by the demons of this world are things you're not supposed to be listening to. Can I hear an Amen. Now let's go to 2 Timothy. Let me give it to you even more. Demons got a lot of ideas. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is the one I was thinking of. It's a chapter 3 in Timothy, but it's 2 Timothy. Now look at verse 1. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the what days? In the last days. People will be what? Lovers of themselves. I've never seen a generation love itself more than this. Never. All the money people spend on themselves. And it's a waste of money. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with designer clothes and nice things. Let me just tell you this. When I used to wear suits, there was a difference in quality among suits. I worked at a Christian business store that was at the bottom of a tall sky rise in New Orleans. It was called uh, George, George Bass. See if you can look him up. Uh, George Bass New Orleans Clothing Store. We'll put this up. This is Southern Gentleman's type stuff. Now, I didn't understand there was difference in high quality of clothes back then. I was just a Bible college student. This Christian businessman brought me in. 
And one day he was taking a lunch break nearby, but a customer came in and looked at our prices and said, man, you are out of your mind. Why are you charging $300 for a pair of slacks, $100 for a tie, and a couple thousand dollars for a suit? And, and I was like, just feel it. Just feel it. Don't you feel the difference? And then my boss, he hurried up and wiped his mouth, and he was eating, came up and said, no, 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 we're going to go deeper than that. But that's all I knew to do. I was just like, feel it. There is a difference. But then my boss said, let me tell you the difference. This cotton is brought from a special place, and it's treated a certain way. The thread count of this cotton is thicker and more, uh, more in higher number than the other things. The designer who cut this and framed this, thank you, right there. This is George Bass clothing right here. Lord, I pray you bless this man. He sewed mightily into our ministry. He said, there's a difference in the cut and this fashion, the design and all of this. And he said, yes, you can go down here to Brooks Brothers or you can go down here to J.C. Penney's and get something similar, but it will not be the cut, it will not be the cotton, and it will not be the thread count. Can I hear somebody say amen? Amen. There was a difference. Now, what is my point with this? You just leave that up for, for me real quick. I don't think you're loving yourself to the point of sin when you say, I prefer George Bass over this thing over here. I, I don't think that's sin. Because there's a difference in that quality. And then I asked George Bass, the Christian, I said, brother, why do people buy this stuff? Bible warns us against loving money. He was a great Christian, very generous, if I hadn't said that already. And he said, let me tell you why. He said, we as Christians should have the best. And if people like this who are working in the high-end restaurants want to wear the best to show their clients that they can be trusted with the best, then we need to provide the clothes for them. And then I began to realize there was people in the Bible like Lydia who made clothes. Then I began to realize that even in the time of the priest, they made clothes and there was fashion. Can I hear an amen? Come on now. If you don't like it, that's okay. But let me tell you what loving yourself is like. Imagine the same exact cloth. Imagine the same exact texture. Imagine the same exact cotton being stamped with supreme, and now you pay 200 for it. How many know that's starting to border on loving yourself? Because you haven't got a better quality. You're just now paying for a name. And people now are looking after those names and that notoriety, just seeing how much they can get out of you. Look at the wealth that's in the fashion industry, and the clothes that they're selling you are no different than what you can get at Walmart. But there are people that are willing to pay it because they don't want to be known for wearing Walmart clothes. You see, brothers and sisters, this is where now our American ingenuity and our American excellence is bordering on, on lust for money. And here's another example of it. This man right here pictured in this restaurant may make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. So spending a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars on that suit is apropos to his budget. Can I hear an amen? In other words, it's maybe only a half a percent of his budget annually for his clothes. But if you are trying to fake it till you make it and you only making 10,000 a year and you spend a tenth of your budget on a suit and you don't need it, but to impress somebody so that you can go into debt in a credit card, what has happened? You're just doing it out of love for self. I know some of these young people came over yesterday, and uh, one of these young guys, he's already noticed I wear the same thing when I'm around the house. Anybody like me? Kind of got your same outfit. And uh, the other day, the young guy said to me, he's like, man, is this like your pajamas? Because every time I see you, you got this, you got this on. And I'm like, they're kind of like my pajamas, but I don't sleep in them. But it's like what I wear around the house. And now I got the holes coming right in the elbows right there. I got these holes. Did you, did you notice it? Did you notice my holy clothes, princess, when you came over the other day? I got some holes in my elbows and all that. Because here's the thing. I don't need to dress and impress when I'm in my house. I'm comfy comf. Amen. Somebody say comfy comf. 
Okay? So here's the deal. If I'm going to come before you, I got to make sure I don't come with my holy clothes, you know, with the ones with the holes. That's another word, holy and holes. Amen? Come on, somebody. But here's the thing. If I came to you before you with a $3,000 suit, why do I need that? You see, now it's personal between me and God. Maybe I could afford it. That's true. But do I need that? I don't think I need that. And so going back to our scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 4, it says, uh, chapter 3 rather, it says one of the things of the last times that will mark these people is that they will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, and abusive. So what do we see people doing with their money? We see people buying things that they don't even need just to try to impress people that they don't even know. They don't even know those people on the gram, but yet they're trying to impress them. And then they boast about it. And here's the thing that gets me every time is that many of you here, you still listen to them and you need to throw this garbage away. You listen to these vulgar rappers who sing about all the money they have and how everybody else is a simp. But here's the thing. They wouldn't have the money to be a pimp unless they had you to be a simp to buy the album. Y'all listening to me? They're pimping on you. Because you gave them the money. If we all stopped giving them the money, they wouldn't have all that they have. And yet they sing like they're so amazing. No, they took advantage of us. So they get lovers of themselves. And I understand sometimes we want to have nice things. But ask yourself this. Can I afford it and do I need it? Abusive. Think about how abusive people have gotten. I don't know about you, but sometimes I see these uh, memes come through my, uh, or these uh, reels come through my Instagram of students beating up teachers. I don't know if anybody's seen this. I've never seen this in my entire life. This was never even heard of when I was growing up. And I'm not like talking to you like I grew up in the 20s. I grew up in the 80s and 90s. There wasn't even school shootings, and Columbine was the first school shooting. Is anybody listening to me? I'm sure there was something that happened somewhere, but I'm talking like a mass shooting. That was in the early, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, and then everybody started copycatting. Brothers and sisters were abusive, disobedient to parents. Think about how disobedient people are now to their parents. Ungrateful. This is the most ungrateful generation that I've ever seen. And you're telling me you're not called to be a leader? You're just going to let them all go to hell? You better find somebody to lead people. You better lead them to heaven while the devil's taking them to hell. Amen. Don't let some Jehovah witness outwitness you. You need to be a witness of God's grace. And I'll tell you right now, I used to be just as ungrateful as all of them. Most of you here born and raised in Chicago, Chicago natives. I grew up in a land called Indiana. I grew up in a small town called Fort Wayne where cornfields and the Amish were on the outskirts of our city. And for fun, we would go get high where the Amish, you know, had their markets and their farms. That's where I used to party. I know it sounds crazy, but that's where I was at. Do you want to know the kind of neighborhood that we grew up in in the suburbs? We grew up in a neighborhood, my friends and I, where we had four tennis courts, two basketball goals, four private pools, a clubhouse with racquetball and pool tables. And do you know what we did for fun? Set those things on fire and do graffiti on them. We would set tennis courts on fire. Seriously, we would steal gasoline from our parents, sneak out in the middle of the night. That's why I got to make sure my kids can never get out in the middle of the night. We used to jump out our windows, go to the tennis court. God, as my witness, set it on fire and watch our tennis court burn. We would then take spray paint and graffiti our own pools, our own clubhouses. Somebody say stupid is as stupid does. And my parents, guess what? We're from the south side. My dad grew up within spitting distance to Midway Airport. And, and he thought, I'll move to a safer community and my kids will be good. 
I was worse than many city folk. Are you listening to me? My dad said, if I get him far away from the city, my kids will be good. And before you knew it, we were setting that neighborhood on fire. As I told you before, the first time I got arrested for breaking in, it was to my friend's house to get his Pop-Tarts and play his Nintendo. We broke into our friend's house to have Pop-Tarts and play Nintendo. That's why, how I grew up. So you th- say to yourself, oh, man, it's not that bad. It's that bad. Every place I look right now, people are not content. Drugs and alcohol and partying. Sometimes we hear TJ talk and we're thinking, oh, yeah, you tell those kids on the west side. No, he's talking about people downtown and high rises still doing drugs. I got to meet some of these hot shots around Chicago. They still doing drugs, man, Dr- hitting Molly before they go to the club, snorting cocaine. Come on. The drugs have never been more popular than they are right now, and they're being accepted. Marijuana is just the, the beginning, the tip of the spear for all the drugs to come in. Like never before, you have people now boasting about how they do drugs. Look at what the Bible says. They're ungrateful. They're unholy. They're without love. People who murdered their children are without love. This is abortion. We are without love. There are people right now, because Biden wants to spread the act of murder to other nations, there are African leaders right now saying, please do not bring abortion over here. Think about that. You have people in the United States of America with the opportunity of welfare, with the opportunity of food stamps, Section 8 housing, going, I can't afford a kid. And maybe they can't because of their stupidity or bad choices, but someone could if they wanted to. Can I hear an amen? I've been in the projects. I've worked in eight different of them in New Orleans, and they were just as bad as Cabrini Green here. I went to Cabrini. Matter of fact, when I first came here from New Orleans, and my wife is a witness, didn't I say to the youth group over here on the, west, uh, on the north side, I said, the first outreach we're doing, boys and girls, is going to Cabrini Green. So I brought a bunch of Northsiders over to Cabrini Green, yes. So I've been around the Jets. I've been around the projects. But now watch this. People in Africa are making videos saying, we would rather raise our children in a hut, carry water on our heads, and breastfeed them till they're 10 years old than to abort them with poverty as an excuse. Come on, somebody say amen. They're smarter than the the people at the universities today. I go to the abortion clinic and I let them know. I say, we are to the point where we can almost put a man on, on, on Mars. We already got rovers there. And the best solution we have to an a unwed mother or to a mother that has an unwanted pregnancy is kill the child. That's the best example. We, that's the best wisdom we have. We can send rovers to Mars, but we have a mom that doesn't want her child. Kill it. That's the best way we can go. How about we put our brains together and come up with a better one? How about we build orphanages again? How about we do that? How about we have mothers have places to stay? How about we have Christian charity like they used to? Have you ever heard of these things before? They used to be run by Christians. Why don't we do it again and stop spending all of our money on dog food? Christians spend more money feeding their pets than they do the homeless. Look at the stats. Christians spend more on their pets than they do on the homeless. It's been a stat out there for quite some time. This is a ridiculous world that we live in, unholy, without love, unforgiving. You want to know what BLM was? Unforgiving. They were spitting on all white people. They had no idea. That white person's family could have came from the Civil War or the Civil Rights. Oh, but you're white, so you're not right. Just spitting on everybody. No forgiveness. No way to make it right. No way to have a transformation of heart. How do you want the people to change in the culture? You want them to change by you slapping them and spitting them and burning down their business? 
I just talked to Brother Juan the other day about a, a business that was in the area, and he said, man, that business hasn't been open since COVID because they looted it. He said, another shop on Michigan Avenue, I can't remember the clothing design. He said he liked it because he's into fashion. He was talking to me about it. He said they went and left the downtown area and only been in the suburbs since the 20 oh, riots. Somebody say, God have mercy. But that's what they are. They're unforgiving. This is what we are without Christ. Let's make it clear. We are this way without Christ. This is our default. I think we're all good inside. No, we're all crazy inside. The little bit of good we have is God trying to hold back the evil. But all of us by our nature can be this way. That's why, let me just back up right here. That's why all of this comes natural to a child unless you teach them differently. How many know nobody teaches a child to lie, but they'll lie all by themselves? That's why I've always said before, I'm like, who's teaching my children to lie? Because I only bring them to church, and now my child lied to me. Did you all teach them back there in Sunday school or in King's Kids? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, but somehow a child learns how to lie. Somehow a child learns how to be selfish. Did you teach them that? I didn't teach them to be selfish, but I'll see my child fight with another child over a toy. That's because if we don't teach people how to tell the truth, they'll get away with lies. You don't teach people how to forgive, they'll stay with bitterness. How many know bitterness comes natural, but forgiveness takes some work? And you need the grace of God to do it. And how many know that these kinds of things are getting worse because no one is teaching it anymore? No one is teaching the right and wrong. Now, I know there are good people, and most of these are Christians. Even though some are not Christians, they have these, uh, these morals. But I know that some of you go to school or on your job, and you'll see people admiring these things. But the question is, when no one's looking, what are they really? See, when I lived in New Orleans, I did Mardi Gras all the time. And most of y'all would think Mardi Gras, that crazy week-long party, is just a bunch of New Orleanian folks. No, it's a minority. Most of them leave town for the weekend. They don't even want to be there. You know who Mardi Gras is? Mardi Gras is your dentist from Chicago catching a flight and then showing her breasts for beads on Bourbon Street. I've been out there so many times in Mardi Gras watching all of this go down, and I talk to them. I'm a pilot. I'm a dentist. I'm from the Midwest. I'm from over here. And they come down there to get away with it. You know why? Because they've been a sinner all along, but culture keeps them inside, and now they come out the closet there for a little bit. And what, listen to me, and what we used to see in Mardi Gras 10 years ago, you now see on America's Got Talent. I used to go down to Mardi Gras and see the transvestites dance, the transgenders get perverted and do all of that, and I've had to shut off America's Got Talent because they'll put drag queens up in front of them. That used to be the wickedness of the wicked. That Listen to me. That was on the far side. That was on the far side of Bourbon Street. You had to go down to see it. Now they're putting it on your television. You don't even want to know what they have next. They want to be animals and they want your children. We'll leave it at that. And when you want to be an animal and when you have no respect for our young, that's when we have to stand up and say enough is enough. When they wanted to be homosexual and do all of that, and I'm not talking about violence, but I'm just saying this is where you have to say there's a, there's a freedom of speech that everybody has. We get it. They can stand on Bourbon Street and do that, but you can't do that in our schools anymore. Now, if you want to have drag queen story hour, then I get to have, uh, you know, First Timothy story hour, okay? I want to come right after drag queen story hour. I get to sign up now. Your teacher get to have LGBTQ day and wave the gay flag. I want to wave the Christian flag. Amen? So, uh, you know, we, we tried to play nice with you, but now, it's, and, and this is what the devil always does. He doesn't just want a little bit. He lies about that, and then he takes a lot of it. When I was growing up in Christianity, you got to remember, 1995, 96, when I would debate like this and preach like this, people would come and talk to me and say, that's not really the way it is. We're not really after your children. We're not really all that crazy. I'm telling you, I've had debates with them. I've, I've spent time with them. I've had homosexual friends. Okay, I've, I've, I've spent a lot of time with them. But here's the thing. What they said would not happen is now happening. 
Because the devil is a liar. The devil even takes advantage of them. They, they didn't even plan it. In other words, they didn't even know how far sin would take them. How many of you noticed when you were in sin, the devil deceived you and took you further than you, what you thought you would go? Some of you never thought you would get an abortion, but you did because you came to that spot, and then now you made that decision. Some of you said, well, I'll never try bisexuality, homosexuality, but you came to that spot, that temptation, and it surprised you what happened. I said to myself, I would never rob people. I would never take from them. I, you know, like actually the people. I would steal from cars and houses, but I ended up robbing from people. Like literal people taking things. Are you listening to me? Because sin took me down a road of de degradation. The devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that you might have life and have it to the full. Does anybody want to turn this thing around? In the name of Jesus. Brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power have, no, have nothing to do with such people. Let's go back to our message. I haven't gotten there. We're still in the introduction. But this is why we need leaders. This is why we need leaders. Somebody, listen to me. Please listen to me. Somebody has to go onto the front lines and speak the word of God. Okay, so where, just put up the chart for me, please, brother. Somebody has to go to the front lines of your job and say, enough's enough. Somebody has to talk to your family. Somebody has to talk to your neighbor. If you and I don't do it, if we're not the leaders, then let me ask you a question. Who's going to do it? I will not be one of those old-time preachers, because I used to hear this, and I love their hearts, but they were wrong to do this. They would say, oh, my generation is done. I can't do anything else. We're going to hand it now to the next generation. No. As, as, as much as I've said, I want you to go further than I have gone, I cannot push it off onto you. I have to do it. Because if we do not make a stand right now and be leaders, someone else will. Someone else will. If you don't teach the word of God and say, follow me as I follow Jesus, someone else is going to teach what they teach and say, follow me as I follow this. If you don't say, follow me as I follow Jesus in my marriage, someone's going to say it's okay to have two and three uh, partners in your marriage. We have a woman that we're helping right now. Her husband came home with a girlfriend and said, deal with it. How do you answer that back if you don't have Jesus? Where's your moral high ground? Uh, no. No. I want yes. You say no, I say yes. We're trying to pray her out of it right now because the first thing she should say to that man is, you don't have two, you just have one because I'm leaving. Are you listening to me? But that's a real situation. That's what the world is dealing with right now. Well, we don't need to be in one relationship. We can have polyamory. That's the new thing. As long as we are up front and talk about this at the beginning, we don't need to do it. Well, let me ask you a question. Who's going to be the one that's going to have a marriage and set it right? You can't be shacking up with your boyfriend or girlfriend having sex outside of marriage saying, but I'm a Christian, and then preach to them. That's the definition of what a hypocrite is. You can't say, hey, I have a problem with OnlyFans when you're sneaking it on the side, young men. You can't be saying that pornography is wrong while you yourself are addicted to it. Brothers and sisters, and you can't also, and including me, we can't say that Christianity is the way to go, but then no one lives like it. No one really prays. No one really reads their Bible. No one really obeys the commands of God. Yeah, but we think it's right. No, someone needs to show what it's like to keep the commands. That's why when I was growing up, it didn't matter what sport I was in or how good I was at it. Sunday I was in church. 
And if I had other obligations to church, I was there. Brothers and sisters, we have to teach our children that God comes first. When my dad taught me to tithe, he was a Christian businessman. He wasn't raised Christian, but Catholic. Came to be a Christian later on in his life as his second marriage. When he came to know the Lord and he moved out to Indiana and raised me, he taught me how to tithe. I have never not known what it's like to tithe. I have had little money and I have tithed, and I have tithed off a lot of money. If you can't tithe off of $10, you can't tithe off of 10000 You know what tithing does for me? Tithing teaches me this money is not going to be my master. Sometimes people say to me, well, can I not tithe and still go to heaven? It's like these questions they want to ask. You know, like how close can I get to hell and still go to heaven? That's not what I'm trying to do. That's not what Jesus taught. I'm sure you can still go to heaven without tithing. I'm sure he'll, he'll let you in there, but he's going to put you on the cheap side of heaven. Some of you all don't know there's going to be cheap sides. There is. There's, the Bible talks about judgments and rewards, and not everybody gets the same thing. You may be up there, and you'll be happy you're up there. You're going to be a janitor, okay? I'm just being honest. The Bible, oh, you all looking at me crazy. I will preach a whole nother message. Some of y'all going to be working for others in heaven. Well, let me just be very specific. Heaven comes to earth, the kingdom of God, the millennial reign. Some of you will be working for other Christians. You will. You'll know your status. For, for example, the thief on the cross, he's not going to have the same reward as those who were faithful to Jesus for, for their 40, 50 years. Are you listening? The thief on the cross, he made it, praise God, but he's not going to have the same reward. And the Bible says, read the parables. The Bible says ruling and reigning will be done, and it will be rewarded according to what we did on this earth. So please do not get it twisted like, well, I get to go to heaven, and I guess Pastor gets to go to heaven. We all get to go. No, no, no. It is true. We're all going to be in heaven. But when the rulership of God, when the kingdom of God comes, there's going to be some ain'ts with the saints. Amen? And then the Bible says he's going to leave. He's going to leave a generation because in Armageddon they all don't die. He's going to leave a generation of the wicked to be with the righteous until they become righteous and serve the righteous. So in other words, there will be servitude. I'm scaring you guys now. There will be servitude in the kingdom of God. They will work for the righteous and be under the foot of the righteous. The Bible literally says that they will lick the dust off our feet, to be honest with you. That's what the Bible says. How many are ready for that? Get to licking, Bill Gates, because I'm telling you, you messed up, but now we'll make it right. And there's some cult groups out, that's why i got to be careful, that now want to make other people lick their boots, and it's, it's nasty. The black Hebrew Israelites interpret this as a thing now, and they want to do that to the white man. And I've actually seen white people kiss their boots, if you've ever seen it. It's disgusting. It will grieve you. But, the, but they get it from the Scripture. Give me the Scripture. They will lick the dust from off your feet. I believe it's in uh, Ezekiel. The Bible says the wicked will lick dust off of your feet. Now, some people say that's just, um, that's allegorical. Whether it's allegorical or literal, it's going to be humiliating for them. Are you listening to me? So not everybody dies on judgment day. But here's the thing. Those who have the humiliation will actually be happy because their judgment of hell has not come yet. So they'll be like, okay, if this is what I have to do to get back in, then I'll do it. Because those who died in Armageddon, their chances are over. Kings will be your foster fathers. King, come take care of my kids. They'll be your babysitters. And their queens, your nursing mothers. How many of y'all ready for this? This is Isaiah right here. Are y'all ready for this? Y'all better be leaders now because if not, you're going to be followers then. Okay? Kings will be your foster fathers and their queens will be your nursing mothers. They will bow before you with their faces to the ground and they will lick the dust at your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Amen. 
We will not be ashamed of the Bible here. Let me just tell you that because I'm a leader. I'm not ashamed of the Bible. Sometimes, I'm just being honest with you, sometimes Christians, God bless their dear hearts, they, they get confused in the Bible. You know, they don't understand it and they get, they get thrown upside down. Does the Bible consent slavery? And it's like, yes, it does. It's just how did they get there and what did they do? It wasn't Kuta Kinte in the south and it wasn't based on race. It was if your nation was destroyed, you are now the slaves of the righteous. Are you listening to me? But the righteous slaves were better treated than the citizens of Egypt and of other nations. So don't get that twisted. Yes, the Bible promotes a slavery of some kind, but it's not based on race. You can't treat them as an animal. And all the Kutakinte, all, all the Bubbas who own Kutakinte are in hell because they did it improperly. But the Bible says there is a slavery to come. And notice this. Jesus is our master and we are his what? His slaves. When you say we are Jesus' servants, the word servant is identical in the Greek to the word slave. Can I hear an amen? The word servant and slave are identical in the Bible. Do not get it twisted. We think to ourselves, oh, a servant is different than a slave. In the Bible, they were the same things. So brothers and sisters, please hear my heart as we go back to the notes here. I want to get close in here. You are going to be judged by this. The world will be ran by this. So the question is, what kind of leader do you want to be now? The worldly leaders that we just heard about in Isaiah will come and lick the dust at our feet. Those worldly leaders, I always say Bill Gates as an example, Biden, whoever you want to think of, Trump if he's not saved, they're all going to come and lick the dust of Christians. Why? Because God said, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His people will rule. But right now, we need to be leaders to these people so that they can join us in heaven and not be deceived by the devil. That's why the Bible says all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, uh, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant or slave of God. Do you see that word right there, servant? Put that in the Greek from 2 Timothy 3.16. Go there, and I'll show you. It's the same word for slave. John MacArthur wrote a book uh, called About Slaves for God, and people were freaking out, but he was just saying what we already knew. 2 Timothy chapter 3, right there. There you go. Verse 16, chapter uh, 3, verse 16. Now bring it down. Bring it down for me, please. Look at it right here. So that the servant of God, bring it up a little bit more, please. There you go. You see this, this word right here, that the man of God, that's actually a different translation for that. That's actually a different translation. Let me go to, um, go, to first, uh, go to Romans chapter 1. There's a variant there. I'm going to have to explain it to you, but let me show it to you here. Paul, a what of Christ? Servant. Right-click this right here. Right-click it. You're right-clicking the whole verse. Just go back to that one word. Right-click on that one word. Go right-click on it. I want to show you what the word doulos means. So right-click with two fingers. Okay, you keep touching something else. Go right up here. Go up to servant. Right-click on it. There we go. Doulos. Doulos. Can you guys see this word right here? What does that word say? There you go. Is it worth my time showing you today? I'm, ex I'm expecting you to understand this. Slavery as done in the South is reprehensible and damnable according to the Bible because they were slave traders and they stole human beings. First Timothy warns against that. 
Matter of fact, just take it off of the Greek right here, and let me just show you the slave trading that is against the Bible. Go scroll down for a little bit here, please. Oh, this is Romans, right? Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Scroll down a little bit here for me. Keep going, keep going. Right here, right here, right here. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is not made for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy, irreligious, and for those who kill their fathers and mothers. How many know you bad if you're doing that? I had a kid in my high school do that. He put them in the back of their trunk. Uh, Unholy, irreligious, for those who kill their mothers and fathers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those who practice what? Homosexuality, very clear right there. And then for what? Slave traders. There is a difference between what the Bible promoted as slavery in, in the Old Testament and what was allowed versus what was condemned here. The slave, tradery, the slave trading that was condemned was what the South did. They kidnapped people. These were not people of war. They then treated them as inhumane, not as if God was their own master. They then beat them and gave them no recompense. The Old Testament had laws for how you treated slaves. If you beat them to the point of being harmed, they were then to be set free. You were then to treat them as your master, God, treats you. Can I hear an amen? Let's just go all the way down to 1 Timothy, go to chapter 6. You'll see how Paul even says it because sometimes they say, well, it's also in the New Testament. It is. But notice what he says right here. Those who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name in our teaching may not be slandered. For those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are, are devoted to their what? Welfare of their what? Now, can you say that about the South? Were they devoted to the welfare of their slaves? Absolutely not. Do you see the difference? Did everybody? I said, do you see the difference? Okay, they were kidnapped, they were taken, and they were brought into slavery. Now go back to that Isaiah passage. I want you to see that. Kings will be your foster fathers. Queens will be your nursing mothers. They will bow down to the ground. They will lick the dust at your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. On the day of judgment, those who have not served God, no matter the kind of leaders they were, on this earth. It doesn't matter if they were as high as kings and queens. On that day, they will be the servants of the righteous. Can I hear an amen to that? Okay, now going back to our, our notes here in closing. The Word of God teaches us how to do this. Because I don't want to people, the Bible says he wishes none would perish. I don't want people to go to hell. I do not want uh, them to be squashed as grapes of wrath on the day of judgment. So what must I do if I'm a Christian? I teach them. I rebuke them. I correct them. I train them. And I encourage them. Look at first, uh, the 2 Timothy 4.2. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and what? Out of season. And do what? Correct, rebuke, and encourage with what? Great patience and careful instruction. We are called to be leaders to this world. I am not ashamed of my scriptures, but I have to be patient with them. I was talking one time to someone from that lifestyle, from homosexuality, and they were saying, well, this is what I feel. This is natural. Are you saying that God doesn't love me because of how he made me? And I said to him, you have it all wrong. God loves you no matter what. So let's, let's not even argue about that. Christians believe God loves sinners. How many believe that? How many believe God loved you as a sinner? 
So, so there's not even a question if God loves you, he loves you. Now, the second part about what you're saying is he made you this way. That's debatable. They haven't found a gay gene, and thus uh, th there is no proof for it. That's just something they passed along until the scientists proved it wrong. It was a myth. But I said, even if you were born this way, and God says that is wrong, what do we do in those situations? Has anybody here been born with a bad temper? Yes or no? Has anybody here been born with lust? Has anyone here ever um, been born with something you would the Bible would consider a sin? Yeah. I was born with a tendency towards rebellion. I was a rebellious kid. Does that make rebellion okay? No. So then what does the Bible say? Be born again. But guess what? Someone's got to teach them that. So when we see former homosexuals in the church, former gangbangers, former drug users, former having sex outside of marriage, what do we say? God doesn't love you. He hates you. He's going to send you to hell. You're going to be my servant in the kingdom of God. You're going to lick the dust. No, no, that's not our message. When Jesus came preaching, it wasn't the message of Isaiah of the kings and queens being your babysitters. What was the message Jesus came preaching? Repent, watch, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you notice that? Jesus knew the kingdom was coming, where he's a king and all of that's going down. But the message was, you repent so that you can come into the kingdom. As we showed today in the message, and let's close with this, please. Thank you for your patience. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Who are going to be the leaders today that people follow? How many have somebody in your life today that comes to your mind when I say you need to be a leader and people need to follow? How, how many people just get a name or an image or somebody in your life? Okay, let's start here. Do you have friends? Let's start here. Do you have friends? Do you have family members? Okay. When I say this right here, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. When I say that's a command, not only for Paul to say that, but for you to say that, how many of you have somebody come to mind? First, first, who am I saying that to? I'm saying that to my wife. Nancy, if you could come up here with the kids, this would be awesome. We'll just close out with this. The first example is in my family. And I'll say this with the depths of my heart. I am sorry that you have to keep hearing about pastors falling. How many have heard about the one from Kansas City? I'm not going to say his name. Maybe just Finney. Nobody else cares? Okay. Well, those of us who keep up with these guys, another major one just fell. The first people that I say follow me as I follow Jesus are these right here. You're one of my children. Yeah, even though you're not sitting with them, you should be up here. Yes, thank you. There's my oldest. Pray for her. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Notice this. This is not a coincidence. I take this as the Holy Ghost. Show everybody what you're wearing. This was my soccer uniform growing up. I went into my old box of goodies that my mom gave me, and I was pulling them out, and he said, could he wear them? And he hasn't taken them off since. Follow me as I follow Jesus. As much as he's clothed in my soccer jersey when I was his age, I want him to be clothed in the things of God when he's my age. Are you listening? Follow me as I follow Jesus. The next people that I say that to are the people of my community, my neighbors, those that I see every day who don't know Jesus. It's my job to reach out to them. 
We have on one side Hindus and on the other side nominal Christians. One that's received a purple heart from being an amputee in the Gulf Wars. That's the nominal Christians on the one side. And then on the other side are my Hindu neighbors. I want them so badly to follow Jesus. I've invited them over, I've talked to them, and I continually bring up the message, but I can't force it. But every now and then, my wife is a witness. Somebody from the neighborhood will get close enough to us to where they'll start catching the Wyrostic van on the way to church. Princess, would you raise your hands? Let's give it up for Princess coming all the way from Elgin. And every now and then, my children will come into my backyard as Vinny did when he was my neighbor and meet the Muslims or the Hindus that we're having discussions with. I've done what I can for them, but I'm not going to stop. Now I go to my next sphere, to those I get my hair cut by, to those that I recognize from the grocery store. Do you know that my wife has brought people from the Elgin Aldi's to this church? Because she would see the same checkout clerk. What was that young man's name? Do you remember? Yeah, Gustavo. Lord, we pray for Gustavo right now. Wherever he's at, arrest him in the Holy Spirit. Let him know there's people praying for him. And if he's not right with you, Lord, may he know and love you right now. Is Gustavo, the guy who works at Aldi's, worth it? When my wife was witnessing to him, you know what she was basically saying? Follow me as I follow Jesus. I also brought somebody from Aldi's and Elgin to our church. His name was Michael. Him and I were standing in front of the barbecue aisle there where they have all the hot dogs when the season of barbecue was starting. And we just kind of looked at each other and we're just like, what are you getting? I don't know. I think I might get this. I think I might get that. And, and then uh, just because I love people, I was like, you know what? You need to come over when I make whatever I make. And he's like, cool. And I'm like, let's switch numbers. This is how it happened. And then he came over and had a meal with us. And then eventually he came to the church. Isn't that pretty cool? Why? Because it's like, it's basically saying, hey, man, follow me as I follow Jesus. Follow me as I follow Jesus. And then what you do is then you go out to people you have no interaction with and you start to talk to them. And that's what we call evangelizing. The last time we went to the high school over here, Shures High School, we were out there preaching. And, and of course, they didn't have school because that's been our gift is we always pick the days they're out of school. But there were kids running around doing whatever they do. And as we were out there, I was saying to them, everyone asks, where is the church? Where is the iglesia? Where are the people, when you, the Christians, when you really need them? And I said, here we are right here. Does anyone need prayer? Does anyone need help? Does anyone need anything? And then a couple young people came over and we got to pray for them. You see, I never would have met them that day unless I believed that it was worth following Jesus. You see, if I believe in this enough, I'll go out there and tell the world about it. Sometimes people, they'll stop, and you guys have been out witnessing with us. They'll say to us, stop wasting your time. And then I say to them, I'm not wasting my time. What is more important than souls for the kingdom? 
There's times that I've gotten really sassy out there, and I have a few gift cards right now I have left over from the high school day when they were all out of school, so I want to do this at the abortion clinic, Lord willing. This Friday, I'll be there in the morning, and then this Saturday, make sure you guys come out. It's big. It's Juan's big closing out for the season. They do 40 weeks from spring to fall for the 40 weeks of pregnancy, and this Saturday's the biggest one, so Lord willing, everyone will come out there. Amen? Amen. But this is what I want to do. I want to have a gift card, because I've done this with $20 in my hands before. You're wasting your time. I'll give you $20 right now, and I'll hold it up in my hand, if you can tell me something better that I should be doing with my time right now. No one has ever been able to get that $20. Because think about it. What's more valuable than a soul? What's more valuable than saving a baby in an abortion clinic? Tell me. Tell me. Oh, well, go help the ones who are already alive. Yeah, and what were they? Babies at one time. I'm helping them right now. They're dead in the womb. No, they're alive until you kill them. People don't even use their brain. I'm telling you, I've held up $20 before. You're wasting your time. Then what's, what should I be doing with my time? Trading stocks that are here today and gone tomorrow? Building buildings that fall in one earthquake? Having as many sexual partners as I can until I get AIDS and die? As my, a guy who used to cut my hair when I was growing up died of AIDS? Tell me what's more valuable than telling people about Jesus. There is nothing. So what we do is we start with our families. We go to our neighbors. We go to our community, to our grocery stores. And then we go out on the streets and we say, we believe in this so much that we're going to tell you about Jesus so that you'll follow my example and come to church, read your Bible, start obeying Jesus' commands. And how many know if people began to do that, the world would be a different place? And, I, and this may sound prideful, but I started off in New Orleans as a Christian rapper. That's not prideful. That actually took a lot of humility and being willing to be laughed at. Think about it. I'm starting my Christian rap career in the neighborhoods of Master P and Lil Wayne and the Hot Boys. Okay, white boy, give it a shot. Seriously, I would go to the Calio projects where Master, B, Sol, uh, Master P Soldier Slim would be having concerts. And I'd be like, here I am, Magnolia Projects, where the hot boys were from. Here I am. So, I mean, that took some humility. But, it, but this is not prideful, but I want to tell you something. I got so discouraged because all these kids kept looking up to all the wrong examples in those neighborhoods. I said, Jesus, I need a song. I need something that can just get in their head that they'll just know that they can make a difference and it doesn't have to be like the people out here that are doing it for drugs and all of that. And the Lord gave me this. If everybody loved JC like me, the world would be a better place, can't you see? If everybody loved, and I would have the whole youth group singing with me. I would have the choir come out there and sing with me. If everybody loved JC like me, and they'd be dancing. I'd be like, do my white boy dance up there. Because it wasn't about me. It wasn't about Joe. Like, if everybody loved Jesus like Joe, it was, it was telling him, if, if you started loving Jesus and I start loving Jesus, if everybody loved Jesus like me, then the world would change. And how many know you need to go out and sing that? You need to go to where you go to work. Seriously, you need to come into your job tomorrow and be like, everybody loved J.C. like me. Barbara, you wouldn't be on your third marriage if everybody loved Jesus like me. Dude, you wouldn't be getting drunk every night of the week, hiding all your pain at the bar, watching sports with your friends. If everybody loved J.C. like me, you wouldn't be taking your second trip to the clinic this week. If everybody loved J.C. like me, you wouldn't be seeing your psychiatrist for $100 an hour, keeping taking all the Zoloft that can't fix you, Xanax, very money, love. 
You guys understand what I'm saying? Oh, that's so prideful. No, 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 it's not me. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Somebody say, it's Jesus. Amen. Let's stand up and give it up for him. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. You did awesome. All right, you guys are dismissed. Come stand in the front row. Let them see you, though, today. That would be great. Whoever comes up for prayer gets to see the kids. Altar workers, would you guys come on up with the band? We're going to close out. Thank you for your patience. God bless George Bass. Hallelujah. How many want to love JC today? How many want to be leaders that lead? How many know these leaders are just like you? What do you do for a living, my brother? I'm an electrician. Amen. What do you do? Stay-at-home mom. Awesome. What do you do? Pastor and stay-at-home mom. That's awesome. What do you do? I'm a nurse. That's awesome. What do you do? Stay-at-home mom. Come on, somebody. Anybody want to look up to somebody? Here's some people to look up to. Here's some somebodies that said, I'm just a nobody, but I want to tell everybody about Jesus. Do you all get that? We're all just a bunch of nobodies telling everybody about somebody named Jesus. How does the world change? It changes when this brother invites his fellow doorman to church and he keeps coming and he has been. It happens when this stay-at-home mom reaches out to her friends and her family and we're still praying for Alex's brothers and their families. What do you do for a living, my brother? Teaching assistant, I coach middle school basketball. Wonderful. How many know he has a pl- an important place in the world? He may not be able to mention the name of Jesus on his job, but how many know Jesus needs to come there on that job to help him with those young people? And whenever they give him the opportunity, he needs to be able to share his love for Jesus. I've been to hospitals so many times, man, that I don't know if I like nurses or I hate nurses. i just be honest with you. I've been there with my wife. I've, wherever, I've been there with my wife. I've been there at different times. And how many know I'm just difficult sometimes with these nurses? They just don't understand sometimes what I'm going through. I'm not, you know, I'm not usually the easiest to work with, I'll be honest. I don't hate them, hate them. You know what I mean? But, like, we've had to ask for some changes of nurses before, haven't we? But you think if this brother showed up and we didn't know him, let's say we did not know him, but he showed up with the heart that we know him to have, do you think that we would ask him to leave? No, he would be an amazing nurse. How many believe that nurses need to love Jesus and show us the way? My friend just had a heart attack. He's an older friend, but he just had a heart attack. And he said it was the Christian workers there that were blessing him because he was so scared. You see, you have a place. Even though you may not be able to walk in there and be like, hey, everybody, I love Jesus. Let me pray for you. Get out the anointing oil. Be healed in Jesus' name. But you know what you can do? Is you can be respectful. You can honor them. You can be kind and compassionate. And then when you have the open door, you can talk to them about Jesus. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for every leader that we have here. I thank you, God, that you're moving in our lives. And I pray that if anyone here is not a Christian, they'll become one today and be born again. And, Lord, for those of us who are already Christians, we'll become leaders to the people in our life. Come on, before we go, would you pray for three people to be a leader to? To say, I want to lead them as Jesus leads me. I pray for my neighbors. I pray for my family. I pray for those that I see every day on the job. Name them out right now. Come on, Daryl started a Christian Bible study at the plant that he works at. There's been testimonies from many of your co-workers coming here. Keep praying for them. Many of you have invited and brought your families. 
Pray for them even now as I pray for mine. In the name of Jesus, Vicki, Nick, Mitchell, Lisa, Josh, pray for them right now, God. Help me to be a leader to them. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. A few moments right now can change your world, can change the world you live in. If everybody loved Jesus like you, would the world be a better place? Come on, do you love Jesus to the point that if everybody loved him like you, it would be a better place? Because that wouldn't work for a hypocrite, would it? But if everybody loved Jesus like the electrician here, if everybody loved Jesus like Joselito the nurse here, it would be a different world. We wouldn't be in the place that we're in. A few moments right now, God changes, us, rearranges us from the inside out. Help me to lead the community I live in. Help me to reach those at the Aldi's. God, I want another story of Michael and Gustavo. God, we want to see more princesses come from the neighborhood, Father, in the name of Jesus. Before we leave out of here, begin to thank the Lord for the boldness and the power he's going to give you. Because right now, you may not think you have it, but you've got to thank him because he's already given it to you whether you know it or not. By the Holy Spirit, you already have the boldness. So you don't have to ask for it. You can, but you can thank him for it because you already do. If you want to say give it to me, go ahead. But listen, the Lord has already given it to you. Come on, thank him. Lord, I thank you for boldness. I thank you for courage. I thank you for the words to speak. I thank you, God, that you'll bring them into my life. In the name of Jesus few moments right now. Right now, focus on those. Pray on uh, for those as you think about their eternal destiny. In the name of Jesus, we pray for lives to be changed, never to be the same. Communities to be brought back to God. Generational blessings to be handed down from one generation to the next. I was watching uh, in an attitude of prayer. I was watching an Israeli father pray for his son as they went to go into Gaza. And it was such an amazing prayer because if you know about the Jewish people, they're taught like how we are taught to lay hands on the, on the head of somebody, your blessing, and to speak the word of God over them. This man spoke the words of God over his son and then he kissed him and sent him to war. Brothers and sisters, where are the godly leaders of this nation? Where are the fathers? Where are the mothers that will bless their children, that will bless those God has entrusted you with? Who are the ones that will lay hands on them? And even if you're not a father or mother today, you can be a spiritual mom or dad to those who are looking for Jesus but need a leader in their life. Before I was ever an earthly father, I was a spiritual father to so many young people and people that needed Jesus. Even people that were close to my age said, man, you are like a dad to me because you are the only one looking out for me. You are the only one giving me the kind of advice that I needed to keep me off the streets and to keep me focused on God's plan for my life. Right now, Lord, raise up mothers and fathers in the spirit here. Raise up leaders of leaders here today, Father. Some of you don't know this, but there used to be a Christian businessmen association in this city. I'm sure there still is, but it's really small. Last time I went there was only a handful. But that used to be huge during the 50s and 60s, during the biggest boom of America's economy. Many of those men were Christians. And you know what they did? They had to stop in the middle of their lunch hour and have Bible studies. Oh, to God, that would happen again. I know a group right now that works in corporations as chaplains, but oh, to God, there would be more.
We need to see God save us in our businesses, in our families, in our communities. And it starts with us right now. Just say to the Lord before we go, Jesus, use me to be a leader. Use me, Jesus, to be a disciple that makes disciples. And before we go, if you have sin or you have issues or things don't... You know, things are not right in your heart. Please see these prayer workers. Let us pray for you. We'll be here as a hospital. We'll be here as, a, as an encouragement to you. But for those of you who are living for Jesus, let's go all in. For his is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Come on. For his is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. One more time, would you say it with me? For his, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you, saints.